Hello, I'm Michael Casey and today it's the 10th of April 2014. I'm about to read to you Tears for a Butcher, Chapter 2, Old People's Home. This is the sequel to The Butcher, The Baker and The Undertaker. What I'm going to read is what I've written so far. So here goes, Tears for a Butcher, Chapter 2, Old People's Home. Now, an old people's home is a thing of mercy and patience. The elderly go there to spend their final years, to find comfort and peace. A good home has caring staff who understand the elderly and their needs. Some old people never get any visitors. The staff are their home, are their family. Or you, make, or you may have one resident who has more visitors than all the other residents combined. Whatever the case may be, a home for the elderly is exactly that, a home, with a capital H for home. <clears throat> now, Percy's occupation meant he visited old people's home more than most. When the time came for the elderly to go to meet God, it was Percy who collected the body and did the final duties for the deceased. The homeowners used to corral the pensioners in the day room, while Percy sneaked in to collect the bodies of the dead. It is an upsetting thing to, to know one of your number has gone to meet the maker, so Percy did his duty while trying not to upset anybody. Now, on this occasion, the Happy Valley rest home, <laughs> as, uh, as Percy collected the the home with Andy, he saw somebody in, in the upper room banging on the window. Then the old woman pushed something out of the window. It was a note with a message scrawled in pencil on it. Percy was going to ignore it, but something made him think twice. So once he had placed the deceased in the back of the private ambulance, he went back to collect the note. Now this note was going to make waves. Big waves. And change Percy's life too. When they got back to the street... Percy sat in the office and put the paper on his desk. Signalling down, he began to read it. The old lady said, Help, I'm starving, and it's cold in here. Always, please help before you're coming to take my buddy away. What's up, Pop? asked Andy. Read it for yourself, replied Percy, as he turned the paper around on his desk. That's not right, but what it, if she's a bit senile? Andy replied. You could be right, but we need to find out the truth, sighed Percy. OK, Pop, why don't you go to the cafe to have a talk about it? I'll pr start preparing the deceased, said Dandy. Good boy, said Percy, as he strode away to the cafe. Percy repeated what he'd read on the note. Mark and Julian were shocked. The elderly should be loved, not starved or froze to death. George and Brownlee arrived with the latest gossip. While hearing Percy's news, they were shocked. Bastard, said George. Bastard, said Brownlee. Bastard, said Julian. Bastard, repeated Mark. But what are we going to do? asked Percy. There was silence all round. Then Brownie had an idea. Me and George are going undercover. I've seen it on TV. Esther Ranson and Parama do it, so me and George will do it, she whispered. George, Percy looked shocked, but she was determined, so he was wise enough to say nothing. But we have to protect you while you're undercover, so you, <clears throat> you'll, have to, you'll have mobile phones that will ring you at regular intervals, or just, just text, because it's quieter, said Gillian. We can pretend to be window cleaners and we can slip messages and you can have a digital camera to get the evidence, said Patrick, who happened by. That's a good idea, replied Brownie. <clears throat> they spent the morning discussing how Brownie and, and George would be spies like 007 James Bond. Sandwiches were made and eaten. They had to try and think of everything. Once the camera was full of stills and movies, they could drop it out the window into the flower bed if nobody was looking. Percy could throw a second camera back up to them. It would take only seconds. 
They did forget one thing despite all the planning. How would you get George and Browning into the old people's home in the first place? The love of money is the root of all the quoted Percy, his eyes lighting up. These people are only interested in one thing, money. So if we turn up with a couple of senior citizens and a fee, a two months fee in advance in cash for the care, then George and Brownie's knee will be on the inside with no questions asked. I've always said you were very clever, smiled Brownie, as she gave Percy a peck on the cheek. So who delivers the parcel? asked Brownie. Smiling course, smiling, smiling Paul, of course. I know he's a changed man since China entered his heart. But well, even he'd admit he still looks a bit mean, ventured Kath Cersei. Smiley Paul thought it was a great joke, and he'd bring Kathleen along too, because she looked so young and beautiful, and with him looking so seedy, he'd suit the path as an ungrateful son dumping his parents. Smiley Paul insisted on donating the money in readies. He thought it would be all the great theatre. Catherine thought they would respect him more. Catherine thought they should respect him more, but Smiley Paul just kissed her in front of Percy, then bending down on one knee, he said, Will you marry me? Catherine looked shocked. Chinese never kiss in public. Then she burst into tears and got on her knees beside Paul. Of course I'll marry you. Then we can harvest, have a harvest of children. You do want half-half children. Smiling Paul began to cry now. It was all too much, a wife and children. If he believed in God, he would have sung a hymn. Or he, or he didn't know well what. Luckily, God did believe in him. Smiling Paul was the lucky one. An urban legend who had won so much money, but gave it all away to help the Chinese restaurant business of his friends. This legend was widespread in Shanghai and all the rest of China. But now the lucky one was being rewarded... The greatest gift of all, love. Percy smiled and walked away. He had tears in his eyes. God really did work in mysterious ways. Percy would have to get his poetry book out and read a few verses while the mood was upon him. God is good. God is good. To be ready for their undercover trip, George and Brownie filled their suitcase. They had full of energy, bottle, energy bars and bottles of Lucasade and teas made and bottled water. There were also several pairs of unisex landowns. The final thing were rape alarms. Both of them had one hanging round their neck. If all else failed, they could pull the string. And Harry Emmett and Harry Emmett would bark and everybody would come running to the rescue. Everything seemed ready. George and Brownie had the final night in their own bed before Operation Undercover. Then at ten AM before a good then at ten AM after a good breakfast their mission would begin. We're going to be acting, so don't be upset at our behaviour, explained Smiley Paul. It's okay, lover, replied Brownie. In silence, Smiley Paul drove to the old people's home. Smiley Paul was driving Jimmy's golden car. It was all part of the plan. When they got there, Smiley Paul and Catherine started snogging. George had to get the suitcase out of the boot himself. They were bloody heavy t- thanks to all Brownie's preparations. Brownie t- gave laser looks up Smiley Paul. She'd give him a good slap when it was all over. Then they got to the doorstep. Brownie rang the doorbell and, George, and gave George a peck on the cheek. Smiley Paul and Catherine carried on snugging. To be honest, it was not method acting. They were going to get married. They felt they should give each other all their all. Two fat sisters opened the door to the home. What do you want? said fatty number one. 
Yeah, we're busy watching Neighbours, said Fatty Number 2. At this point, Smiley Paul dragged himself away for Catherine, blowing kisses at her as he did so. You are old folks. You have old folks here, said Smiley Paul, looking at his, his love in the car. Yeah, read the bleeding sign, said Fatty Number 1. Here, you can have these two, replied Smiley Paul as he reached for his wad, throwing a few thousand at the Fatties. Smiley Paul jogged to his car and carried on snagging. The two fatters, fatties fought over the money. They just dressed at George and Brownie to follow them. That was their customer service. If they worked, worked at a proper place, both would be sacked on the spot. George and Brownie struggled with the bags. The two fatties went back to their TV, shouting to George and Brownie that they're in room number three upstairs. Smiley Paul and Catherine removed their snogging. Lust were out. He floored the car. It was like a volcano about to erupt. So when he got home, he handbrake turned and parked the car. Then he and Catherine ran up the stairs. She was going to be married to a great man, the lucky one, and he was all hers. The bed would have broke, only they didn't get that far. They made love on the fur rug at the bottom of the bed. He was hers and she was his. Smiling Paul cried as they made love. He was so happy. He didn't deserve her. She cried too. She didn't deserve him. They only So they consoled each other. They climbed into the bed and consoled each other until the bed broke. There was a lot of consolation to be had that, all that day. Both gave, gave it willingly. They wondered how their kids would look. Totally eastern or totally western or half-half. Jeans, jeans are strange things. It is said that the writer Michael Casey wanted eastern-looking cases. Eastern-looking children. But they look western, but with fabulous hair. So Smiling Paul and Catherine just laughed and left it all up to God and jeans as they made love for the fifth time. Meanwhile, George and Brownlee had struggled upstairs only to see their room. The mattress was covered by a torn and dirty duvet. It was disgusting. Brownlee looked around. There was one armchair with a spring hanging out and a very old rocking chair near the window. A wonky set of drawers were in the corner. It had been painted over to hide how bad it was, but paint was peeling off. Right, you put the kettle on, I'll sort at the bed, ordered Brownlee. Yes, sir, George. When Brownlee had replaced the duvet with one they brought, they had tea, sitting on the bed. Another fine mess you've got me into, said Jaws, as he flapped his tie like Oliver Hardy. This place is a tip and it's so cold, observed Brownie. But what are we going to do then, ordered George. Brownie put the, her tea down and got into the bed fully clothed. Seems like a good idea said, to me, said Jaws, and he too got into bed. So there they were in bed, and it was only afternoon. Do you think we're like John and Yoko? laughed Brownie. No, we're better than them, replied George. So they joked and laughed, and it was a fifteen and it was and it was a fifteen and as it was a fifteen tog duvet, they fell asleep. When they awoke, they were too they were too hot, so they took their clothes off and went back to bed. Now, was it the spirit of George and Yoko, or was it smiling Paul's and Catherine's lust lust dust being sprinkled on them? Nobody would ever know, but they were decided. They decided their platonic marriage was was no was no was no long good enough. So starting slowly, ever so slowly, they renewed and remembered how it was in their youth. Memory is a great thing, and once it is awakened, it is a tidal wave. They made love just like John and Yoko did, only they were from Old Forge and singing anvil. But just as the hammer beats on the anvil, keeping a steady rhythm, so did they, for a full two hours. George and Brownie were a bit peckish. So they decided to get dressed and go downstairs. It must have been tea time by then. So they tried some of the home's tea. 
they were in for a shock when they went down. The fatties had been drinking Baileys, so the supper was not ready. They were fat and snoring. Bloody useless, said Brownie. Worse than useless, said George. They went in the kitchen to see what they was there. Old Mother Hubbard was there. Brownie sighed. There's a few leftovers, said George, hopefully. Brownie went and counted the residents. Seven, including themselves. I hope you like Hamlet, she explained, so George chopped and, and diced everything inside. His training in, in army catering came rushing back to him. Then he threw six eggs in. Six eggs in. We'll all be farting all night, joked Brownie. Trying to raise him around, but at least farts keep you warm, observed Georgie. So the seven residents had an omelette. That's the best meal we've had in a month, they observed. Them fat bitches just eat all food themselves and just give us rubbish, added another. I'll eat up fast before they wake up, said George. Smiley Paul and Catherine were a little tired, but they were very happy. Catherine had heard stories about English people, and Smiley Paul had heard stories about Chinese people, but now they knew everything about each other in the biblical way. Their love would be eternal, eternal, and Smiley Paul would add odds of 74, and she was pregnant, but she was happy. She had waited, and she had made him wait until now. And this was the climax. Well, several of them. Love had conquered all and broken the bed into the bargain. But would there be children? Catherine was so happy as she lay there beside him, her head on his shoulder. In China, she could only have one child, but here, with her he- but here with her hero, she could have as many or as few as she wanted. It was great. No chairman now in the bedroom. Just her and her hero. She was so happy. She rolled on top of him. Six was a lucky number after all. And who was smiling Paul to refuse six of the best, six of the very best?